Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A thief slips through a window amidst the quiet of the night, unseen, unheard, and invisible to the city that lay asleep around him. Today his mark is a house with a history, and unbeknownst to him, a secret so dark that it will change his life forever. Listeners, this story, Thief, by Mr. Duppin, is not for little ears. The tale contains explicit content, so that means gnomes, halflings, fairies, and children must not be around for this tale. Now, turn up the lights, turn up the sound, and this story will have you reconsidering whether thievery is quite worth it. Enjoy. The moonlight bathed Paris in a silver, calming hue, a breath of serenity amidst the turmoil of revolution. The city is asleep, deep in its midnight slumber. Only a lonely shadow moves in the stillness of the night, tiptoeing across the rooftops. It climbs effortlessly up a brick wall high above the ground. Reaching a windowsill with an outstretched hand and pulling itself against the glass, it presses its hands against the wooden window frame and with a swift motion, pulls up. The window clicks open and the shadow slips inside the dimly lit apartment. The place once belonged to the late magistrate, Pondicherry, But after he was relieved of his post under dubious circumstances, he committed suicide. And the place has remained abandoned ever since. Many inquired about the luxurious two-story apartment but rumours of hauntings and strange sightings kept people away. Rigort walks carefully down the gloomy corridor, the wooden floor creaking loudly under his feet. He enters the first room on his right. This must be the study, he thinks. A large bookcase covers the back wall. Piles of old tombs are heaved onto the various furniture. Stools, a music player, even a small piano around the room. Rigot approaches an equally untidy desk in the middle of the study. Immediately his eyes dart towards a silver pocket watch, partially buried under a pile of stained papers. He grabs it and puts it into an inside pocket of his coat. His focus shifts to the center of the desk, where a large book lays open. A thin layer of dust covers its parched pages. Rigot tries to read a few lines but discovers that the book is written in an unknown language. Greek, if he had to guess. Intrigued, he turns page after page until a crumbled piece of paper falls on the ground. He picks it up, rows and rows of complete gibberish, with a few lines crossed off. A list of sorts? Losing interest, he moves back into the hallway. He decides to check the first room on the left. As he steps under the dislodged doorframe, he catches a glimpse of a shadow, moving at the other end of the corridor. He quickly spins around. A curtain, torn and shredded, floats softly under the nightly breeze. He laughs at himself for being so jumpy. He has been in this kind of business for many years. The shadows are second skin to him. He fixes his attention back on the room. This one is much more orderly than the study, but the sense of abandonment is still here. 
The red paint on the wall is starting to peel, revealing the yellowish plaster covering the brickwork of the building. Fine aristocratic chairs are gathered around a marble fireplace with blackened from the smoke delicate designs. A ripped chair pillow is thrown in the corner of the room next to a mahogany dresser. He walks towards that corner where the faintest idea of a fouled odor seems to emanate. Getting closer, a strong, sulfuric stench fills Regard's nostrils. Upon investigating the wall, he finds a large hole behind the dresser, broad enough for a small person to creep through, leading to the next room. Slowly, he kneels down to inspect further. Examining the broken wall, he spots dried blood onto the rim of the hole. Someone must have slid in, only to get cut by jagged edges and wood splinters sticking out. Who would go through there and why? And most importantly, was he still in the building? Regot peeks inside the hole, his curiosity pushing him past the rotten smell. The room is bathed in almost complete darkness, bearing no windows and the only light source being the gap on the wall. Regort can't make out much. The place is in much worse shape than the rest of the house, and it is empty save for a battered sofa and a few overturned chairs. His eyes are beginning to adjust to the darkness, little details coming in view. He can now see the white paint on the wall that has dried, and on some places has completely fallen off, and most strikingly, blood splattered across the wall and floor. To his horror, he discovers bloody fingerprints and smudges on the floor and lower wall, as if someone has crawled on all fours towards the corner of the room, which is just out of view. Regard stretches his neck and presses as far against the wall as possible in order to get a better view. But the dark corner is still out of sight. Sick of the gruesome scene, he starts to retrieve himself from the hole. But a clanking noise roots him to the spot. He hears raspy, heavy breathing. Then, a thumping sound, followed by a painful moan. Regort's mind freezes. He hears the scraping of nails on the hard floor. Someone is dragging himself towards the opening. Regort tries to move, but his limbs are numb from fear. The noise is coming closer and closer. Then, it stops. <laughs> A low growl, replacing it. Seconds pass. Regort, pale face and wide-eyed, slowly pulls himself backwards. As he's getting up, a hoarse scream pierces his brain. Regort rushes to his feet. A rattling of chains and thumping of limbs fills the thief's ears. Whatever is on the other side is lunging towards the hole. Regort runs out of the room, slamming the door behind him, the force bringing down the doorframe. He rolls to the side, narrowly escaping the falling door, which crashes to the floor, raising a fog of dust. He runs out of the corridor. Whatever is in that room can go to hell. I don't even care if there's someone dying in there. Every man for himself, that's my motto. Regort thinks as he turns towards the window, but the sight in front of him stops him in his tracks and sends shivers down his spine. A man, drenched in blood, is blocking his exit. His eye sockets are empty. A thick, pus-filled fluid dripping down his cheeks. The white rags thrown over his head don't cover much of his scarred body. A thick red line runs around his neck, 
like something tight was tied around it. Three large nails are pinned on his right forearm, while the fingers on both his hands are cut into short, grisly stumps. Regort, petrified by the ghastly sight, backs down the corridor. With trembling hands, he tries to grab on something to steady himself, but his legs give way and he falls on his back. He quickly stumbles on his feet, frantically scanning the floor for an escape route. Unable to spot the main door, he blindly runs up a staircase on his left. He glances over his shoulder, catching the monstrosity turning its head towards him. Its mouth curved into the faintest of smiles. Distracted, he trips over the last step and falls flat on his stomach. His face pressed against a musty old carpet. He pushes himself up and takes a quick look around. This floor is much more claustrophobic than the first. The ceiling is hanging lower and the corridor connecting all the rooms is much narrower. One of the three doors is broken, revealing a small storeroom closet. Rigot lunges to the first of the two. He wrestles with the doorknob, but the door remains closed. He runs to the next door. A nasty smell hits his nostrils. He hesitates. But knowing his options are limited, he pushes the door open. As the door creaks open, a gust of stale air bursts out of the room, covering his nose. Rigort carefully peeks inside. Before he can get a view of the room, a little man jumps in front of him. He looks old and feeble, his frail framework trembling under his own weight. The few hairs left on his head are oily, and a crust of filth covers his skin. Welcome to the Wall of Art, he says in a high-pitched voice. He smiles, revealing a row of rotten teeth in his mouth. The old man steps outside the room, closing the door behind him. He is wearing a bloody white shirt that once must have been very expensive, and he is carrying a small hammer in his right hand. He has no pants on. His swollen genitalia on display, yellow and white marks run down his inner thighs. Come in and marvel at the wonders hidden inside that little corner of our world. He gestures to Rigaud, his bony fingers trembling. Rigaud steps away from the man until his back is pressing against the wall behind him. Don't be scared. Come in and stand in awe in front of the unearthly beauty of our exhibits. The old man says, stepping closer to Rigaud. His mouth reeks of rot and decay. He extends a greasy hand towards Rigaud's face. Young lad, I assure you, the wall is unlike anything you have ever seen. It will elevate you. It will perfect you. You need the wall to be complete, and the wall needs you. Step inside and become part of the art. A surge of adrenaline rushes through Rigaud's body. He slaps the old man's hand away and runs for the staircase. The scarred man, previously blocking the window, is nowhere to be seen. Rigaud's heart flies. He is so close to escaping this house of horrors. But as he sets foot on the first step, he freezes. At the bottom of the stairs, a woman, her joints twisted and her limbs rigid, is slowly crawling up the stairs. She twitches and squirms, trying to drag her broken body up the stairs. She is wearing a white, ragged dress, and her forehead is adorned by a broken tiara. Her blonde hair has been torn off, with only a few patches left and those glued on her scalp and forehead by sweat and grease. 
Her glassy eyes are staring blankly at the ceiling while her head is bobbing lifelessly left and right. Out of breath, Rigot bolts towards the nearest door on his right, his weight bringing it down and his momentum carrying him to the other end of the room, straight into a pile of rotten body parts, eyes and limbs and tongues and hair, all crammed into a heap of gore and flesh. Rigot gags, the revolting smell invading his senses, clotted blood glues his fingers together, his hands a sticky mess of blood and hair. He tries to get up but he slips, crashing back down on the pile of dismembered limbs. Sir, you aren't authorized to enter the backstage area. The shrill voice of the disgusting little man echoes in the room. I will have to see you out, sir, he says, stepping through the doorframe. He walks steadily towards the fallen thief, rolling up his bloody sleeves and swinging his small hammer around. Rigot, accepting his fate, lies still and closes his eyes, while the old man downs the hammer onto his head. The thief's eyes burst open, explosions of pain shooting across his body. He is lying on top of an unstable table, with the old man's figure looming over him, a hammer in hand. Steady now, the old man says, bringing the hammer down on Rigot's hand. His vision becomes blurry, a sharp pain on his palm numbing his sense. Rigot looks at his hand and to his horror, finds a large nail penetrating his palm. The old man thrusts down with the hammer once more, pinning Rigot's hand to the table. The thief screams in agony. Shush, young lad, you are ruining the magic. You will have plenty of time to scream later. Now I need you to be silent and let me concentrate on my work. The old man says, putting his hammer down. He pulls a wheeled storage cabinet from underneath the table and opens it. After hastily searching for the tool he needs, he grabs a large mechanic pair of pliers, which he rests at the end of the table, near Rigort's feet. The old man grabs Rigort's right foot and pulls it towards the pliers. The thief kicks and stomps, but the pain in his hand impedes his movement and he ultimately succumbs to the man's surprisingly firm grip. His foot is pushed between the pliers, two metal plates locking it in place. The filthy man steps back, a wry smile etched on his face. What the fuck are you doing? Rigort screams. The smile on the old man's face broadens. I am painting. I am painting over nature's incomplete work, perfecting it, he says, using his whole weight to pull down a rigid lever connected to the mechanic pliers. What the fuck is wrong with you? You sick bastard! The metallic plates press down on Rigort's ankle. The grip becomes tighter and tighter. Rigort screams in agony as his bones crack under the metallic grip. There is no point in screaming, young lad. Nobody can hear you. You are only ruining your beautiful voice. The old man says, letting go of the lever. And you want to be at your sparkling best when she plays with you. He continues, putting emphasis on the word she. The plies around Rigaud's ankles relaxes. The thief exhales in exhaustion. Now! The old man claps his hands. Before I leave you to her mercy, I will show you a glimpse of the greatness that awaits you. 
he says, walking towards the darkest corner of the room. Rigort stretches to see what the old man is doing, but his aching body limits his movement. Instead, he focuses on his surroundings. He notices red curtains covering the walls around him. They are heavy and thick, and their surface curves slightly around strange bumps sticking out from the wall. Suddenly, he hears a rusty metallic sound in the corner behind him. Behold, the wall of art. The old man whispers in a hushed voice. The curtains part, revealing dozens of bodies hanging from the walls. Some are charred, others are skinny to their bones, and others are missing limbs. Large iron spikes are nailed on their heads, pinning them to the wall. They twitch and shudder spasmodically, as if they're still trying to escape their dreary fate. Rigort can only stare in horror, his mind numbed by the horrors of the cursed house. The old man stares at the bodies on the wall too. A puddle of drool, ready to fall from the edge of his gaping mouth. After a few seconds of silence, he speaks. Beautiful, isn't it? I've worked my whole life to achieve such elegance. He says, sweeping a tear away from his eye. And you will be up here soon. He pauses. Don't mind me asking, but how do you feel? You must surely be humbled by the honor that has been bestowed upon you. Rigord spits at the old man's feet. I don't blame you for this classless act. In time, you will understand. You will understand that man is only a pawn in the hands of a higher force. Everyone is forced to play. Everyone is forced to fulfill the plot that has been set for him. Like an opera play, where the singers can't deviate too much from the original work or they will be struck down. The old man says, walking up and down the room, marveling at the bodies hanging from the walls. I loved going to the opera. I remember one night when I went to see the opening at Mozart's Magic Flute. Oh, what a marvelous show that was. There, smitten by the maestro's divine touch, I fell in love with the Queen of the Night, played by the beautiful and majestic Josefina Rosignol. But I knew I couldn't have her. Have you ever felt the longing pain of a love that cannot be? Suddenly, visibly shaken and angry, he punches the table near Rigaud's broken ankle. I was devastated. Such a graceful being could never stand by my side. I was consumed by heart-wrenching despair. Every moment away from her was a moment my heart skipped a beat. I was inconsolable. My life was spiraling swiftly into a hopeless abyss of misery. I only left my house to go to her performances, dreaming she would notice me. But she never did. <sighs> the old man sighs and hangs his head to his chest. One day I mustered up all the courage in my heart to go and confess my love to her. So I booked a first row ticket to her next performance. I can't even remember what the play was. That's how nervous I was. After the opera was over and the actors retrieved backstage, I slowly made my way to her dressing room. With shaking hands, I knocked on the door. She didn't answer. Taking a deep breath, I opened the door. He says, hiding his face in his bloodied palms. And there she was. She, she was 
indulging herself with another actor. My whole world collapsed around me. I don't know what happened afterwards. Maybe I died and went to hell. All I know is when I opened my eyes, I was sitting in a chair in this very room. My love's mutilated body lying where you lie right now. Something had snapped inside me. I could feel it. I was broken. You have met her, you know. She was the one slithering her way up the stairs. My love, my first painting. Reduced to a hollow cell of something once beautiful. I cannot hang her on the wall and be done with her. No, she won't let me. He emphasizes on the word she once more. I have to watch my love wilt and wither till there is nothing left of her. I had to chain her to a wall downstairs. That's how sad her deteriorating state made me. The old man snaps his fingers. But enough with that chit-chat. My love is simply a work in progress. It is her that you should be scared of, the lady of the house. She is the one running this household. I am simply a painter. I paint her victims and she plays with them, feeding off their misery and suffering. The more beautiful the painting, the greater the satisfaction she gets. And as he says that, he opens a toolbox waiting on a chair and pulls out a knife and a cleaver. And now is your turn to get painted, he says, running his finger down the sharp side of the knife. Satisfied, he buries his hand in his toolbox, searching. Regot sees his chance. Mustering up every source of strength in his body, he pulls his hand away from the spike pinning it down and rolls on his side, screaming. He comes crushing down from the table, his mind blurred by the pain. The old man turns around and stares at Ragot with eyes filled with hatred. He grabs a hammer and slowly walks towards a thief. Ragot reaches for his left foot, pulling out a dagger concealed in his boot. He grips the handle tightly with his left hand, his knuckles whitened by the effort. The old man swings at Ragot with his hammer, the thief easily evades the blow and stabbing the man on his shoulder, but his broken ankle gives way and he falls flat on his back, his dagger flying out of his reach. The old man charges towards the fallen Regot, but the thief kicks him in the knee, staggering him. Regot struggles to his feet, leaning against the table for support. His adversary swings his hammer once more, but the thief catches his hand in mid-air. The two men wrestle. But Ragot manages to come on top, throwing the old man on the ground. By the time he gets back up on his feet, the thief has already grabbed his dagger and is steadying himself for the oncoming assault. The old man charges once more. This time, Ragot feigns a move to his right, but at the last second darts to the left, plunging his dagger deep into the man's gut. Despite the stinging pain on his ankle, he manages to balance himself and grab the old man, who has dropped his hammer and is holding his bleeding belly by the neck. The old man's face suddenly drops, and a sad and tired look resting over his eyes. I once was Pondicher, the great magistrate of the Paris court, but now I die as a wretched worm. Oh, how cruel life has been to me, he says, dropping on his knees. At last I find peace. But the lady, oh, 
She needs a painter. Without one, she... Rigaud slices his throat. He drops the dying man on the floor, letting him gurgle on his own blood, his face a visage of terror. A few seconds later, he draws his last breath. Rigaud drags him across the room, pulling him onto the bloody table. He puts down the dagger and grabs a hammer. He puts a nail on the side of the magistrate's head and thrusts down. A new piece of art is now adorning the wall. So the thief went to steal, only to have his mind and soul stolen. This tale had me thinking about the kind of hauntings that could be out there. The monsters you could encounter in houses that are hundreds of years old, with secrets that would turn our hair white overnight. I really liked the twist at the end, where Rigort cut the neck of Pontichur before he could explain the curse of the house and his beloved twisted wife. I'm not sure whether he was compelled to do this due to the curse, or it was purely his want to escape sooner rather than later. Then after killing him, he was bound by the manor to serve. I just can't help but wonder if another thief would end up faring far worse the next time an intruder enters that manor. They'll have a man who's just as nimble as them and just as aggressive to deal with. Not to mention the other creatures of that house, the beast and the twisted monster woman from a Japanese horror film. Yikes. Now my legendary listeners, it's time for my Patreon thank yous. Short stories I write every single episode to say thank you to all those that support the show. If you think you'd be interested in supporting the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. And that will take you to where you can send some love my way. First up, my epic Ode Night Tea Titans. Maya, Rita the Rogomancer. Deep in the city of Kalat, lives a young woman by the name of Rita, two T's in her name, not one, she'll correct you if you say otherwise, who lives by herself running a shady business of necromantic trade. Rita spends her time on dangerous contracts between two fortified cities at night, using shadow magic to assist her in such adventures. Her contracts range from locating stolen goods to sourcing undead and dark beastling ingredients, as well as slaying extremely dangerous cryptids. Nimble as a thief and the intelligence of a mage, Rita is smart enough to know that necromancy as a magic rarely leaves the user in a better position than they began. Despite this, she sends shadows of herself throughout the city by sacrificing small animals that she finds in the wilderness, or ensnaring walking corpses to imbue her spells. The closer they are to the undead, the more potent their magic will be, and using that magic to send out shadows of herself out to neighboring towns to collect her wares. Each night, she summons the dark forces, and each night she brings back a new haul, from riches to ingredients that she'd use for the next contract. Her hardest work, though, are contracts that involve the destruction of rampant cryptids like the Skinwalkers, Wendigos, or dire creatures of this world. And amidst her other skill sets, killing Skinwalkers is by far her speciality. The one tactic she knows best is collection of information, and speaking to the darkness itself has its perks. Perks like whispers and whispers of names. The names of skinwalkers. And in that name brings that skinwalker's death, and a contract to be turned in. With that, Rita makes her living, working in the world of magically imbued stealth, whilst using the darkness to collect her wealth. Solstra, 
Herbalist of Horrors. There are warlocks, wizards, and witches, but Solstrick cares not for that kind of power. She regards it as over the top and without meaning. Her words, not mine. The Herbalist of Horrors in name seems quite bizarre also, since when does a herbalist possess the power to do anything but heal and cure? Solstra is no ordinary herbalist, of course, using the blood of the undead, limbs, body parts, juices from parts of the body that I'd rather not mention, to concoct tinctures that either imbue the body with absurd levels of strength and endurance, or transfigure their consumers into terrifying nightmare creatures. Seeing as Solstra was creating nightmarish creatures more often than the former result with her tinctures, she began conducting research on the very monsters she created. And from here, Solstra honed her skills of herbalistic horrors into the art of war, creating demonic allies for many a king's army to then convert those monsters back into people. One of her favorite tricks she enjoyed pulling on those who refused to pay for her trouble was to abstain from curing those that she enhanced. And every day that would pass beyond the point of that cure would lead to permanent transfiguration. And she would always start with the kings first. Let's just say she always got her payment. Solstra, the herbalist of horrors, a testament to turning lemons into dark demonic lemon juice. Thanks mates for being so awesome and supporting at this tier. I've used your donations in the past two days to work on updating the website, still on the works, and also for some new tools to create better artwork. So I can't wait to show off some new skills. All thanks to you. Cheers, mates. And now for my awesome white tea warlords. I own Cow's Rift Walking Rogue. It's not enough that Mr. Cow's nearly died when he was young, after falling into a ravine and landing on moss, then one year later facing the barrel of a gun multiple times for crimes he never committed, whilst then being shot at point blank and miraculously running away unscathed. Mr. Cow stared death constantly in the eye and walked away every time. Whether he's involved in fights that he never started, attacked by chance in a road outside of town, attempt on his life due to a mistaken assassination contract, Mr. Cows had a rough and strange life, but somehow he always walked away unscathed. When he reached his 30s, he discovered one night while sleeping that once going to bed and closing his eyes, another world was revealed to him. A world of teal and blue, with mists flowing through his house like a river of smoke. Thinking he is just exhausted and having a crazy dream, he rose from his bed, grabbed a glass of water, and thinking nothing of it, placed it on the counter, only to wake up the next morning with a cup by his bedside. Curious. So he tried it again, this time though he stumbled into the door, and simply slipped through it, again. How curious. It didn't take him long to realize the potential this had, and how limitless it made him feel. Mr. Cow's as a result went on a stealing spree, starting small with pouches of coins through to ornaments and prized gems. The hard part now wasn't that he didn't have the wealth, but instead how to fence that kind of wealth. To this day, Mr. Cow riff walks through all sorts of houses and never ceases to be amazed at the kind of going-ons in each household, and the wealth he'd soon be inheriting. Lee Bauer, Rooftop Wrangler it wasn't enough for Lee to break in through a window or sneak in through an unlocked hatch, or lockpick a door to the goods that he wanted to get hold of. No siree. Lee wanted to set himself apart from the world of thieves as an innovator of theft, not just a propagator of it. Lee wanted to add value to the knowledge base of what makes a good thief. 
by doing it better than everyone else. His attitude saw him invent the Rooftop Wrangler, a device that punctures the roof of any house quietly, allows you to attach several items via rope, and then in one clean smack on the butt of a horse, and every item you've managed to wrangle, so to speak, is briskly whisked away and down into a cart below. The largest haul that Lee ever achieved was rooftop wrangling a small town. The entirety of a small town. His best theft to date. Why, the only thing left in their houses were chairs and tables whilst all the valuables were rattling away down the street. When people finally realized what happened, of course it was too late, and worse so. They were left with only the memory of manacle laughter and gleeful screeching that night. A man either out of his mind or feeling on top of the world. Mates, I hope you both enjoyed your tales. I wanted to mix a bit of paranormal with some ingenuity. I hope you both love them. Thank you so much for supporting me. It's a joy to say thank you with these stories, and I'm grateful to have your support. And of course, my awesome Earl Grey Enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Tristan Cassidy, and Dolphin Nkow. Thank you all so much for being so damn lovely and taking the time to send some dollary dues my way to your grateful tale teller. Have a wonderful day or night, and this Friday, I'll step back into the world of Dracula. So stick with me then, mates, and as always, till next we meet.